What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Shut Up, Keep Going. Hey, I'm Sydney Goodman. I'm Kate Franklin. And today we are going to be talking about some internet stuff. And this is the show where we explore our internet curiosities, fall down rabbit holes, and talk about embarrassing stories. That mm-hmm. feels like an accurate representation of this podcast. Alrighty, Kate, would you care to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, Why don't you go first? Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> please go first that makes me a little nervous for whatever you're about to talk about but i will go first so i am talking about james cameron tonight (laughs) Um, just in general okay so it got brought up when we were recording one of our podcasts and i just wanted to kind of fact check myself in a way because i said some things about him and i was like i hope that's true (laughs) um and so i fact checked myself and then i kind of fell down this rabbit hole about all this stuff about this man and like his i mean it's really it's tough because it's not necessarily his inventions like he's paying people to kind of create these solutions to his problems if that makes sense Mm -hmm. within the realms of what he's interested in it's tough because a lot of the articles that i read were like pretty general and so i don't want to like take away too much credit for him him but i also don't want to be like james cameron inventor when like actually all these other people are working on it so so take everything with a grain of salt do you stand I don't know if I stand because like I'm not trying to trash talk James Cameron and I think that he has done some incredible work Mm -hmm. in the film industry in terms of like the actual his actual output of film like his filmography and what he's done for the industry in terms of new developments um, that I'm sure other people other directors are using to create film that's great however I like just I don't like Avatar and I don't know why they're making so many of them. They're making more. You didn't know that they're making like, wait, let me look at how many sequels, but they, it, that was like, how long ago was the first one made so long ago? So long ago. Right. Um, <laughs> why now? Or has it been in the works for a long time? 2009 is when Avatar came out mm-hmm. the first one. An iconic year. And then in 2010, they said Avatar two and three would be filmed back to back. Okay. And then they said there will be an Avatar 4. How can you get to 4 if you haven't even made 2? I just feel like that's kind of cocky. I mean, it's James Cameron. The, True. the man, he's done the stuff. He's been around the block. now, And now there's Avatar 5. So <laughs> there are for sure going to be 5 Avatars. And for that reason, I it's hard for me. I don't want to say I like lack respect for him necessarily. But I think I'm more just like kind of confused and so it's hard for me to completely be like, I stand this man when I'm like, this man makes very expensive films and he's about to make four more avatars. Like, do we need that? No, no I one don't needs think we that. Do. Even if you stand avatar, do you need five? I feel like that's kind of, I feel like even like, things that I really love, I don't want five of them because inevitably like what film franchise, Harry Potter, which I thought about last week, and I'm like, why are there there's so many Harry Potter no, movies? No, but I'm saying, were they all, are there five movies in there that are good? Like, good. Not just like, oh, this is cool what they're doing. Because I find myself doing going down that rabbit hole. I've said rabbit hole like six times, and we are like three minutes into filming. Um, it's on the brain. It's on the brain. Actually, it is, because I was watching this TikTok of this guy's goldfish, mm-hmm. And they were eating these, he like made peas for them. Don't give them raw peas. I think he like steamed them or something. And then one of the comments said, they're the rabbit of the sea or the, of the water. Because they eat peas? Well, the way they eat kind of looks like a rabbit. So I think rabbits actually are on my mind, but I digress. Here's the thing. I can't remember what we were talking about. (laughs) We were talking about five avatars, which I like don't totally believe. That seems like conjecture. It's like, how do you know that you're going to make five? Movies are so expensive to make. that's what we were talking about. You know, Harry Potter has a lot of films. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has a lot of films. (laughs) Unfortunately, I said it. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Don't come for me. But my thing is, like, I think with, like, the MCU, for example, I get very wrapped up in, oh, like, what they're doing is very, like, very revolutionary. Like, they made this film universe. And you kind of get your judgment, I feel like, almost gets clouded, where if you just watched some of those not all of them there's a lot of really entertaining movies in that franchise but if you sat down and watched them just like on its own it's not connected to anything and you're just like what yeah and i feel like 
I don't know. Is there a movie franchise that has five solid films that are back to back? No. No. Well, no. Five? I mean, I would like Harry Potter. But like I, see, I, I've never watched Harry Potter. What? So You've I've never seen, seen two them? of the movies. Are you what? I've seen two of the movies. And I think by the time like I was old enough and everybody was upset that I had only seen two of the movies, like I'm too far removed. And so when I watched it, I'm like, what's I, can't I guess get I into understand it. that. I mean, I was into I, I was into it, but I swore that you were into it. That's I was so in Lord of the Rings. That's true. Like okay. I was like deep. I was deep okay. into Lord of the Rings. Kind of an intellectual. <laughs> I did the trading cards. Harry Potter, so. I raise you Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he's the man's making five Avatar movies total. Um, if you don't know who James Cameron is, you're probably pretty lost in this conversation. He's a director. Um, he did the term. He did Terminator, Terminator Two, Aliens, which is the second Alien movie in. He made Terminator? You didn't know that? Yeah, that was his like breakout movie was Terminator. Oh, I've never seen it. What? (laughs) No, I hadn't seen Terminator. Okay, that makes me feel so good. I hadn't seen Terminator when Alex and I first started dating. We were too young when it came out. That's why. He literally thought that I... Because he made it seem like everyone had seen this movie. I feel like I did miss out. Like I didn't see Die Hard until I was like five years ago. Like me last year. Okay, this makes me feel so much better. Then it just... I, I don't know. I, I guess most people have seen them. But Terminator, we were too young when it came... We weren't even alive when it yeah, came out. Yeah, it was the out. 80s, 84. So, I don't know. Like, it... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know I'm getting defensive also, over it. Okay, I just need to caveat this. I feel like we probably pissed a lot of people off in terms of... We pissed off Marvel fans. We pissed off if there's any Avatar fans out there. Yeah, they're we pissed coming off Harry. For us. I pissed off Harry Potter fans. Just know, sorry, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. I'm really sorry if you're very offended by this conversation. I can respect liking them, all that's, of them. So that's the thing is, I think that so Alex has a very different movie sensibility than I do, yeah. and he. I don't know how to explain it. He just can enjoy a movie despite its flaws. Like, I don't think he hates any movie except for the ones I like. But that's because the ones that I like are like very slow and I can see how they're not for everybody. But in terms of like most films that are made for like most people and aren't just like that really niche genre of film i feel like you know exactly what i'm talking about 100 um he just doesn't hate a movie like he can just even if there's flaws like he just he doesn't care if it's entertaining i wish i could do that right and so i think that that's just shown me that it's like i mean film is an art form and it's so subjective and it's something where it's like if you like something super passionately and i don't that doesn't take away from what that is for you so yeah james cameron um (laughs) Okay, well, if you've never seen Terminator, then this isn't going to be helpful. I have a fun fact about the Terminator. I'd love to hear it, though, because... Do you know anything about it? Yeah. What do you know about it? Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Do Do you know who the Terminator is? Like, that... He's like a robot. Okay, that's enough. So... I'm frazzled. James Cameron, he did Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh my gosh. Katie, that movie is so good. I feel like you would really like it. I've never heard of that. It's like so campy and wonderful. It's with Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I do too. She is. She was my mom's roommate in college. What? Yeah. (laughs) Your mom went to UOP, right? Yeah what she went there for a semester and they were in the same sorority and like apparently jamie lee was like a wild child and ellen's like a little puritan you know she was like really hot i think she's still really hot i mean my mom was really hot i think ellen's still hot too i mean yeah she still got it anyway yeah they were roommates did they were roommates they were roommates and then she left to make halloween wait what does your did your mom like were they tight um like do they still talk no they don't still talk they don't still talk but because it was like the beginning of college you know those like first semester friends in college you make and you're like yes i don't we're on a tangent man 
Okay, so James Cameron, he's the director of all these things. Here's the fun fact about Terminator that's going to mean very, it's going to be pretty meaningless to you. The studio actually wanted to cast O.J. Simpson as the Terminator, but Cameron didn't think he'd be a believable killer. I mean, I get that. That's like cultural. Oh, little did he know. That's so, do you think he did it? Yeah, I think he did it. He definitely did it. I totally think he did it. Anyways, so James Cameron, who was born in Canada, moved to California at age 17. He studied physics at Fullerton Junior College. OC. OC boy. Um, And he actually was a trucker before working in film. Wow. Right? So Terminator became this unexpected breakout hit. And um, Avatar and Titanic are actually two of the highest grossing films in history. Um, But what... I found so fascinating about James Cameron and what I kind of mentioned in a previous episode is that a lot of his highest grossing films, he also created tech around it and kind of made these big developments, whether it's in uh, cinematography or in diving. And so I wanted to kind of go through some of those. And according to the internet, seems like his biggest contribution to deep water diving, which actually touches on another thing that we talked about, did not mean to connect all these dots. So I'll start with Avatar since um, it's kind of less groundbreaking, less colloquially groundbreaking. Um, I mean, you're in film, so maybe this will wow your brain. Well, it it groundbreakingly used papyrus font for its look. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I would say that. Remember when papyrus was like the hot font? Like when we were like, in second grade. Oh, yeah. We loved Papyrus. I loved Papyrus. Would you say Papyrus is... Air- like, where do you in the world do you think Papyrus font... Like, what does it allude to? I always thought it alluded to, like, Egyptian culture. Okay. I thought it was, like, Western. Like, Western. Maybe that's its appeal, in quotes, is that it's, like, ra- like it's, like, ethnically ambiguous. Well, so someone... Like, I don't... I mean, they should be in trouble for this just for the fact that they use papyrus font but someone used papyrus font for titles when i in school and this girl ironically i think for real which is like a travesty in itself but this girl said that they were racist because they were using papyrus font Uh, yeah i always i think because maybe papyrus i'm thinking of like this is where my brain goes so there used to be uh maybe it's still around a like card store called papyrus yeah I yeah think. yeah and so i think paper and then i for some reason that goes well papyrus. The- that's how they made paper in egypt okay so that's why i'm thinking smart. egyptian that's yeah. why i'm thinking egyptian there we go okay we can go so i don't know so avatar required more than two years of development of new production technology um, including image-based facial performance capture real-time virtual camera for cg production simulcam system for real-time tracking and compositing of cg characters into live action sequences um and combined all of these with stereo stop combined all of these with stereoscopic photography to create a hybrid cg live action film and um they actually cameron and his team developed a new generation of stereoscopic is it scopic or scopic scopic stereoscopic cameras and basically what that is it's the equivalent of two cameras strapped together and they each provide a slightly different perspective on the scene which mimics the way that human eyes see the world in oh, three dimensions i like that right Isn't yeah that interesting it gives the screens more depth and takes on the appearance of kind of like a window that the viewer is watching through um with a very distinct foreground and background um, and Cameron and his team on Avatar also developed a virtual camera, which was a handheld monitor that allowed him to move through a 3D terrain. And this allowed him to film as if it was kind of like a, a computer game or a video game um, in his virtual world. Because, you know, a lot of Avatar takes place in what is called like Pangea or Pandora. And that Avatar was called the most ambitious 3D film ever to be released. Are I you- remember when it came out and I... So I was just looking at stills of it, trying to remember. I saw it like four times in theaters. Whoa, Avatar super fan. But now I like can't remember anything about it other than when they have sex with their hair. Isn't that a part of it? I don't remember. Do you remember the plot of Avatar? I I just want to like explain why I would see it four times. And that's because Cinema City Theaters in Yorba Linda. Cinema City, hey yo, $5 Tuesdays. $5 Tuesdays. That's literally why I 
I would just go. My parents would just drop me off, and I would just go there. And like, wait, that's across the street from the In and Out. The In and the famous <laughs> In and Out. <laughs> I don't know. If you can t- <laughs> I'm gonna give a summary, some context. You can give the context of this famous In and Out. Okay, so basically, like light, light context. Kate and I. We had this theory that if you showed up to a party that nobody knew you at and just acted like you were supposed to be there and like were everybody's friends, then they'd just like let you stay and everyone would believe that you were friends with them. And so long story short, we like made a really hard and fast effort to find a party where we wouldn't know anybody. Um, And we lied a bunch and then we ran into the people after we aborted mission and saw them at this in and out. So yeah, if you're listening, sorry, sorry, that's what we were doing. We're not like stalkers or anybody super creepy. It was a social experiment. It was very highly intellectual, highly scientific. Gosh, are we losers? We were, no, I think that's like, I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyways, uh, I don't I don't totally I remember it is about like mining. The trees had something I don't I can't. That was I feel like that's pretty. Yeah, the trees and there was a mining thing. Yeah. And uh, the guy like becomes one of the Mm -hmm. natives of the land to like infiltrate. But then he's like love this and then they show how they have sex with their hair which i will never forget <laughs> i will never forget that because i'm like it was just very upsetting seem very pleasurable yeah they just like their hair like braids <laughs> into each other and they're like i'm not yeah i don't know yeah i don't know if anybody's i've had people braid my hair before and it sometimes it hurts yeah i don't love it uh well Anyways, outside of Avatar, um, Cameron has worked with space scientists and engineers developing, quote, viable architectures for human exploration of Mars and been involved with a bunch of robotic space exploration projects. That quote was from his profile on National Geographic. And he also served on the NASA Advisory Council for three years. He's an active member of the Mars Society and Planetary Society. Uh, he has something called the Cameron Pace Group, which is a 3D tech and production company that was previously just called Pace. Um, and he collaborated with them multiple times prior to like completely partnering with them. And then once they partnered, they rebranded to Cameron Pace Group. But they developed the Fusion Camera System, which allows more precise control over the left and right eyes of two cameras mounted together for stereoscopic filming. So now we get to Titanic. This was the part that like really grabbed me that I thought was just so fascinating. Never seen Titanic. What? <laughs> You've never seen Titanic? No. What were you doing in like the like late 90s, early 2000s when everybody was watching it? I was watching Big Fish and Devil Wears Prada on repeat. Dude, Devil Wears Prada is underrated. Such a good movie. People write it off because it's just like, oh, it's just like a girl's movie. No. It's a fantastic film. Meryl Streep's best performance. Can I say that? Honestly, yes. She's so good in it. She is so good in it. Emily Emily Blunt, Blunt, so good. If you haven't watched Devil Wears Prada, please watch it. So good. Big Fish, also very good. But not not as good as Devil Wears Prada. But very good. And not as seminal as the Titanic. Yes. So, wait, do you know how the Titanic ends? Like, do you know anything about it? I'm so confused right now. So, okay, here's This is how Alex must have felt when I told him I hadn't seen Terminator or Die Hard. The reason I never saw it was we had it on VHS, and it was in two Mm -hmm. VHSs. That's part of the experience. And that doesn't explain why I haven't seen it, because we owned it. Maybe I was too young to watch it. I don't know. I know. Do you know how it ends? Yeah, with the old lady. And they, like, find the stair. They go in a submarine. But do you know, like, does Jack and Rose, do you know, like, what happens to them? Yeah. Uh, he is on the plank that's way too big. <laughs> I know that. And she drowns. <laughs> is that not true? <laughs> he drowns. How would she drown if the old lady, she's the old lady? 
Oh, she's the old lady. Wait, but what's the whole internet thing about the giant raft that he's on? It's I now I don't remember how it ends. I think it's both of them. I think she's on the raft and she's like, I'll never let you go, Jack. And then he's like, Okay, but then she like doesn't have enough room on the raft for him. But I thought Leonardo DiCaprio got a bunch of shit for it. Who Because remember Brad Pitt said that iconic thing to him when he got his some award he got for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was like, come on, man, there wasn't enough room on that raft and everyone lost it, including myself. I love Brad Pitt. I love him so Can I much. Just, like, I he would be is, totally fine if we derailed this podcast into just like a Brad Pitt. I love Brad I Pitt. I love him so much. I don't love... I've met him. Do you know that? What? Yeah, I've given him a tour of a gallery. Brad, do you remember it? <laughs> do you remember our time together, Brad? Oh my gosh, was he like He's so dope? cool. Yeah, he was so nice. I heard he's, I mean, he has to be super chill because he smokes a ton of weed. Love that. He has an art studio in Atwater Village um, that I have heard. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so while the ship is sinking, Rose flees Cal and her mother. I think Cal is the man that she was like betrothed to oh yeah and um who they have a lifeboat and she goes to free jack because jack is tied up and on the boat deck cal and jack encourage her to board a lifeboat while intending only to save himself cal claims he can ensure he and jack get off safely as her lifeboat lowers rose realizes she cannot leave jack and jumps back on board cal takes lovejoy's pistol don't remember who lovejoy is and chases rose and jack into the flooding first class dining saloon after using up his ammunition he relents cal realizes he gave his coat and consequently the necklace to rose he later boards a lifeboat by carrying a lost child after braving several obstacles jack and rose return to the boat deck the lifeboats have departed and passengers are falling to their deaths as the stern rises out of the water i'm reading the wikipedia summary the ship breaks in half dropping the stern into the water jack and rose climb onto the back of it and ride into the ocean he helps her onto a wooden panel buoyant enough only for one person so wait that's the clue is that it's not that it's not big enough for both of them it's that the buoyancy is only fine for one. So if there were two of them, it would I see. sink. But for some reason, I thought he was on the... No, he assures her that she will die an old woman warm in her bed and Jack dies of hypothermia. But Rose is saved by a returning lifeboat. And then it rescues the survivors, la-di-da, la-di-da. And then they find that Rose finds the thing, drops the thing into the ocean like uh, Britney Spears sh- said she did. Okay. Um, so wow, I'm tangents galore today. Anyways, so that's Titanic, the movie that Kate has never seen. I mean, Sorry. it's fine if you haven't seen it. I just feel like it was one of those things that it felt like such a cultural landmark that you just kind of assumed everybody who was alive at the time saw it. That's my argument for n- never seeing it though. It's like, who's going to sit down and watch like everyone's, it just seems like, like we've moved on it. past it. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like that was like, I feel like I took a very long time to see Fight Club when it's like a movie that's so up my alley for that same reason. Yeah. Because it was like everybody had seen it already and like I didn't really want to watch it alone. And then I did watch it alone. And then I watched it like 50 times in one day. And it was like, that doesn't mathematically make sense (laughs) because the timing doesn't work out. But I watched it a lot. (laughs) Anyway, um, so Titanic. Cameron made 12 submersible dives to the Titanic wreck two and a half miles down in the North Atlantic. And Whoa, then, that's so cool. Wait, this is great. You're going to love this because I thought a lot of this was like kind of common knowledge. But if you weren't really into the film, then I'm sure you probably don't know this stuff because um, you don't know anything. Just kidding. You're very smart and intelligent. I, so I love you. <laughs> um, so he then formed Earth Ship Expedition where he'd led six sub subsequent i have a hard time with that word he led six subsequent expeditions including a forensic study of the bismarck wreck site and 3d imaging of deep hydrothermal vent sites along the mid-atlantic ridge east pacific rise and the sea or cortez sea of cortez he dives a lot is basically what it's saying that's cool um he does he developed fiber spooling mini rovs deep ocean lighting and photographic tech Uh, National Geographic calls his exploration of the Titanic's interior as historic and 
was the subject of his 3D IMAX film, Ghosts of the Abyss. In 2005, he went back to the Titanic site to extend his interior exploration with new smaller fiber spooling ROVs and ended up surveying more than 60% of the interior spaces of the ship. Whoa. Yeah, and prior to Titanic, the film, like there was a ton of that shipwreck that just was unreachable by humans because we didn't have the technology. You'd get crushed. Um, so I think that just remember keeping that in mind and the fact that now in 2005, he surveyed more than 60% of it. That's, That's so cool. Um, and so Deep Sea Challenge is um, one of his like documentaries. Wait, and- I feel like I've seen the other one, the other documentary you talked about. I think they show it at SeaWorld. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so that you mean Ghosts of the Abyss? Yeah. So Deep Sea Challenge was the eighth deep ocean expedition Cameron led. His engineering team spent seven years building the unique sub. So they called it a submersible. I don't know enough of the, about that space, like what the difference is between a submarine and a submersible. But so the unique man submersible capable of dying to the ocean, diving to the ocean's greatest depths. He piloted the sub the sub solo and it was called Deep Sea Challenger. So the documentary, if you want to look it up, is called Deep Sea Challenge. He was in Deep Sea Challenger. And they went in the Mariana Trench in 2012, uh, which has a depth of 35,787 feet. Oh, my God. That's so scary. So it's actually, it's the deepest spot. Remember how we were talking about that? Yeah. So that was it. And he went. So he was in the little thing? Yes. That's so cool. And it was the world's first solo dive to the deepest place on the planet. Um, and Wait, and James Cameron was in the submarine? Yeah, it was him who did it. What? Yeah. What did he see? Like, weird. We'll get to that. We'll I don't know why that. it, like, scares me. Like, like trenches? Like, that is the worst word for me. I What is down there? I don't like that. Okay, keep going. But I want to hear about it. So the dive took two hours and 36 minutes. And he built him, meaning him and his team, um, built the deep sea submersible in secret. I don't know why they kept it a secret, but they built it in secret over the course of eight years. Um, and so when they were down there, they actually discovered microbial mats, which are filament like clumps of microorganisms that were living off of chemicals from altered rocks at 35,803 feet deep. And this is from Live Science. Um, and researchers have actually speculated that a similar setup may have sparked the chemical steps that led to life on Earth and possibly elsewhere in the solar system. Now, the like the thing that I think is important to say, because I'm not going to read the entire article to you, but is that they're not saying that life on Earth necessarily started in this trench, but they're saying that kind of the chemical processes that they're seeing with this microorganism, or at least this was my interpretation of it, echo what they believe could be the what started life on earth um and cameron like found that whoa that's amazing yeah okay. i don't know how that Avatar's works is a great movie i said it. <laughs> i don't know how that works in terms of like because the the submersible was equipped with a bunch of cameras and stuff and so i feel like he probably just took a lot of like footage and, and then, then gave it to researchers to figure it out um, but some int- information on the submarine or on the sub, sorry, I don't think it's called a submarine is that the deep sea challenger, um, 70% of the subs volume is taken up by syntactic foam, which is formed by millions of hollow glass microspheres suspended in an epoxy resin and syntactic foam is the only flotation material that can stand the pressures of the deep ocean. But 70% of the sub was made of this foam. Whoa. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so the lead engineer of the project, his name is Ron Allum, and he spent 18 months designing a new patented syntactic foam called Isofloat, specifically for this and for James Cameron. Um, water vapor from the pilot's breath and sweat condenses on the cold metal sphere and drains into space where it's sucked into a plastic bag so that in an emergency, the pilot can drink it. Whoa. That's cr- wait, whoa! Does it filter it? I don't know. That that wasn't in the thing that I read. Oh, okay, but it, I mean it's drinkable, like Brita. <laughs> they have a little Brita. Wait, I have so many questions. 
I probably don't have answers. But. but you might know this. So when they are going down, do they, does it protect them? So it's just like sitting in a little orb or do they feel like I'm is, sure is it physically does it affect I'm you? I'm sure it's physically taxing. Okay. It, I didn't read anything about it, but I, I feel like it has to be physically taxing. Like they can't totally get rid of that. Yeah. No. Have you I been in a submarine? I've been in one that wasn't submerged. Oh yeah. But I want to go in one. Can you go in I one? I don't know if like regular, just random people can be like, I'd like to go on that. If anyone has a submarine. Hit us up. Let us know. Let us know. We'd love to go on a ride. That would scare me. I don't know if I would like that. I, feel I do like really want to get um, like my diving certification. My sister has that. You told me that. Yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah. I want to go deep sea diving so freaking bad. I actually don't know if I'd do that. Oh, I oh, sounds amazing. Like to be honest, like I know that it's technically kind of risky, but if there was like a way for me to go and it was like getting gobbled up by some monster in the depths of the sea, like make it quick. I'd love that. Are you serious? I'm like yeah. so terrified by the ocean. I don't know why. When I was in Hawaii last summer, my mom dropped her snorkel and I was, I saw it at the bottom and I was like, oh, I'll just dive down and get it. It's like not, it doesn't seem that far. And it was like, so, I don't know how deep it was. It was pretty deep and it hurt so bad to be down there. And when I got down there and picked it up, I was, I looked around and it was like, I was so scared. I love that. It's like, I'm on an alien planet. I do not See, belong there. that's why I love it. But I mean, I'm not saying that it's not freaky to me, but I feel like it just puts in perspective for me so much that it's like, I don't matter. Yeah. Like, and not in like a rude way. Gosh, we really need to cut out that suicide part. Cause this is just, <laughs> yeah. um, we'll, but, we'll cut that out. <laughs> But not in like a rude way, in like a way where it's just like, wow, like I am just a human living on this planet and like there's so much other life. Because I think that as like humans, we think we're just the absolute best Mm -hmm. and like we rule the world and everything. But I feel like the ocean is just such a reminder for me that it's like we are so insignificant when it comes to the greater ecosystem of the earth. And I think that's just like really exciting and humbling and just... I don't know. It's, oh, that's why, I mean, I don't want to be eaten by like a sea monster. That's not what I want. But if that happened, I don't know if that happened and it happened really quickly. Like, I don't want any of the fear of like, oh no, there's a monster chasing me. Like, I just want it to be a surprise. Like just like a whoop and it's done. You should read Moby Dick. (laughs) (laughs) I read it this summer and it's so good. Okay. It's pretty, I mean, it's dense, but. I'm actually going to get a Moby Dick tattoo. That's so annoying. Is it going to be a dick? A Moby Dick. You should just get like a penis that says Moby on it. <laughs> Can you please get that I'm as a tattoo? Not, I'm not getting please. that as a tattoo. <laughs> Can somebody get that as a tattoo? I'm sure please someone send has it to that. me. Tag me. Okay. I'd love to see it. But don't tag me if it's like a real life picture of like your penis with the word Moby on it. I don't want that. Yeah, you I just want to see if open you get, this can of worms. I just want to see somebody get a tattoo of that. That's it. Anyways, it's a, it's whatever. I sound so pretentious. It's so good. Okay. It's a I mean, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. That's like after we read Great Gatsby in high school, which I still I love that. I hated did not love the film a horrible movie um and we've had several conversations about how it completely goes against the actual ethos of the book um but oh my gosh we're so pretentious i know can we change the name of this podcast to we are pretentious we are pretentious (laughs) (laughs) that's our second podcast keep an eye out um if you thought this was us being pretentious just wait until you hear the first episode of we are (laughs) pretentious just kidding we're not going to do another podcast at least not right now um but anyways I remember I went back and I was like, I'm going to read all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's like, mm. and then I started reading the beautiful and the damned. And I was like, there's a reason great Gatsby is the one <laughs> like, there's a reason why that's the popular one. That's like the banger. <laughs> yeah. That's like his, like, <laughs> I shouldn't have started at billboard the 100. Cause then everything's just yeah. downhill from there. Yeah. No. Anyway, deep sea challenger, the sub. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so the water vapor the sub has, has four external cameras that are a tenth of the size of previous deep ocean hd cameras uh, the housings were designed by the deep sea challenge team and the cameras themselves were created from scratch from the sensor up so that's just like another example of cameron building things cameron and his team building things yeah so he's he's kind of the like I imagine this and then but he's not is he doing the scientific part behind it unclear okay unclear um and then the final fun fact was that um an experimental Rolex watch uh with the depth rated to 12,000 meters was attached to the arm of Cameron's submersible and if you didn't know Rolexes began as divers watches oh I didn't know that wow that's what like the background of them um, and so you can actually buy a Rolex Deep Sea Sea Dweller watch, um, which was launched to coincide with the release of this film, Deep Sea, Deep sea Challenge. Um, and it'll cost you $12,000. Okay. So, okay. There you go, if you want it. Are all Rolexes waterproof? Yes. They are? Mm-hmm. Because they're diving watches. Oh. Wow. Yeah, fun fact. I only know that. I mean, they're waterproof to a certain depth. I see. Um, but it's like big depths. It's not just like puddle. Yeah. I only know that. My dad's really into watches. He collects them. That's that. And so that's James Cameron. Wow. I know that I, we talked about him for like a really long time, but I just thought it was real. What I find really fascinating are people, most of the examples that I can think of off the top of my head are creatives, but just people who like are so multifaceted because I think that and this is, oh my gosh, I'm so pretentious. This is like a part of my core ethos. Um, but I really do, I think that everybody has the potential to be like multidimensional and kind of like break through kind of the boxes that society puts us in. Mm-hmm. And so I just, obviously James Cameron, he has a, a ton of money, I am sure. And so he has a lot of disposable income and freedom to explore these things. Um, but I think it's really cool that he's putting his money towards investing in, yeah, I mean, that's new tech and what we should hope for with rich people. So can I tell you a James Cameron fun fact that I just remembered and verified on Wikipedia? Yeah. He, so, you know, Guillermo de Toro. No, who's that? He made Pan's Labyrinth. I'm kidding. Oh my gosh. Kate. You said it so, like, you were like, who I'm is an actor. that? Wow. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, please uh, cast me in your next <laughs> film. That was my audition. So when he was making a movie, Kronos, in 1998, mm-hmm. his dad was kidnapped in Guadalajara, what? and James Cameron paid the ransom. He seems a like... A million dollar ransom. Honestly, That's I... That's amazing, I think it? I stand James Cameron. Uh, yeah, so... You answered the question we've been wondering this whole episode. I think I do. You stan. I think he is a fascinating dude. Yeah, I definitely stan And he stan seems him. like he, like, I, I don't know. He seems, everything that we've just read, he seems like a, a good dude. Yeah. Like, that seems like a good dude thing to do. He can make five avatars. I guess that's you know fine. What? Do what you want, man. If you're going down in those trenches, just he's down in the making, trenches. He's down, he can he make, down in the trench. Literally he the trench. He is the trench. He is the trench man. Come to find out in 10 years, he actually drilled the trench hole. <laughs> he like made Just the trench. He's like, he's like, like I need to make these five avatars. <laughs> they need to give me a reason. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, mine's actually like kind of related, Wait, but really? not really, oh. but kind of. Okay. Um, so you went down into earth mm-hmm. and I'm going above earth. Wow. 50% so shot. my... I just had this question of who owns space. <laughs> That's a good, I don't know. What Do you know they, the answer to that? Nobody. Well, so we're going to learn. Is it like the, what's that called? You know how like there's certain parts of the ocean mm-hmm. where there's yeah, no. Yeah, it's that. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so s- wait, if I wanted to murder somebody and s- I could do it in space. Well, okay. Sorry, keep going. I don't know. <laughs> but do you know who would know? Is Franz von der Dunk, who is a space lawyer. <laughs> what? Yeah, he studies space law. And that's who I got most of this information from. So thank you for your service. <laughs> Wait, what? How? Yeah, apparently at the... Oh, does I he have know. to take a different bar? Like, does he take, like, the bar exam, like, from the aliens? 
he okay he teaches at the nebraska college of law and uh there uh, has to be an alien base in nebraska then like you know how there's like area 52 yeah why there that doesn't make isn't area 52 is it 52 uh area 51 51 that's in new mexico what's area 52 that is something (laughs) i think it's like a cheeky i didn't look up his background and i'm not anyways uh, you can find matter. his email online. <laughs> I don't know if you want to contact him about his resume. <laughs> no, I, I was just saying if he's in Nebraska, then that makes me think there has to be like an Area 51. Well, yeah, they have cornfields there. So obviously there's alien shit going on, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, so he gave me all this information. Um, cause Personally? He's a, no. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I'm making this so hard. Just go. <laughs> I believe everything you say. I don't know why I can't understand any of your sarcasm. Which is so funny because I feel like I am one of the most gullible people. Maybe it's just my like how I'm treating today. I don't know. Um, so I googled the question, "Who owns space?" Because <laughs> I truly did not. Or I knew that it was like, yeah, it was like the international waters idea. Mm-hmm. But I was specifically curious about. Okay, if we found, like an avatar, this is how I'm relating it to it, if we found some mineral that was like, this is super great, who get, gets the money for that? Um, so that's why I, I and yeah. I, I found the answer kind well, kind of. So basically, the background of this that Franz taught me Franz. is in 1967, the Outer Space Treaty was made between all world powers um and how that came about was back in the 1950s president eisenhower was really concerned about another pearl harbor happening in outer space and he was concerned that there was going to be a new colonial battleground where nations would try to lay on certain portions of space um so he proposed this treaty okay and it was passed in 1967 um And it was most, it was between the United States and the Soviet Union and um, all other spacefaring nations, but those were like the two main guys, as we know, in the space race. Um, And so they agreed that colonialization on Earth had been responsible for tremendous human suffering and many armed conflicts that had raged over the last centuries. They were determined to not repeat that mistake of old European colonial powers when it came to decide legal status of the moon. So essentially, they this treaty uh, laid out what you can and can't do in space. And it, it basically was just like, let's just have a peaceful space life. Like we can't... I can get down with that. It's everyone's land. Like no one has claim to it. So when they have the flag on the moon, like that's... Is that an issue? No, but it's like you can't claim it for America because it's not ours to have. We signed the treaty. We, we signed this treaty. Well, we signed the treaty before we went to the moon. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you know how I remember that? How did you ever watch even Stevens? Mm-hmm. There was like a musical episode. It's like, we went to the moon in 1969. Oh wait, I remember that. But the year after, that's how I know what year we went to the moon. 1969. I remember that because nice. just everything happened in 1969. Like what? The summer of... No, that was 1968. Oh, it, I feel like it's a year worth thing. Nice. Okay, I'm, it, it doesn't matter. So let me tell you what... Maybe this is boring. No, then. I think this is fascinating. Okay. So Franz summarized them for... I just have to give him all the credit because he laid this all out. So wait, sorry. I'm just... How did he get a point? I don't understand. Why is he the expert on this? Um, Like, how do you... uh, Like, what what are his credentials? He... I honestly have... He got... Did he a just, doctor in international space law in 1998 from the University of Leiden in the Netherlands. But I mean, are there a bunch of him? Not him, but like space lawyers? I have no idea. <laughs> I I'm should probably know so that. I'm so confused well, about that vocation. Here's the thing. there, There's got to be, or we're probably in need of it because this freaking treaty is so vague 
and like is so like yeah that i feel like we're if once space travel gets more commercialized we're gonna run into problems and so franz will have quite the caseload is what i'm trying to get at (laughs) okay continue though what is the treaty so the treaty states that the exploration and use of outer space shall be carried out for the benefit and the interests and in the interests of all nations outer space should be free for exploration for all countries it is not subject to national appropriation or ownership um, you can't place nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction in outer space. Good one. Hell yeah. Um, the moon and other celestial bodies, love that, shall be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. Um, astronauts are regarded as representatives of humanity by all nations and shall be given all possible assistance in any event of accident or emergency. I can get on board. States shall be responsible for national space activities, whether carried out by government or non-government entities. States shall be liable for damage caused by their space objects. Um, I don't know why that one's kind of funny to me. Well, if I like comes, actually, I thought about that one. So what it is, is if something comes crashing down that you launched into space and it causes another country damage, you have to pay for it. I don't know why. I just think that's like funny because I feel like I understand it on like a level of like, if you hit my car, like you need to pay for it. And I think it's funny that, I mean, I'm glad that other countries are, that countries, we're yeah. thinking about it on a country level, but it's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like um, in like superhero movies, do you think that like, you know, if, I don't know, if Superman goes to Europe and like destroys a bunch of stuff like or do we have to pay for it so i know that we didn't want to piss off more marvel people but that is the reason why i don't like marvel movies is that they okay this actually isn't a marvel movie but it stands for all superhero movies okay when i watched the superman movie which one the first one like the no no the like the first the first new gen the one with amy adams i think yes okay there's a scene where he's literally like there's something I, I it's very vague to me so don't check me on this but okay. they're in like a downtown situation and all these buildings are being knocked over and he's like ramming into them and these buildings are just collapsing and I'm like there's so many people in those buildings and you're just like killing them right and I don't love that I don't love how like destructive it is and it's like not you know what i mean like it's not thinking about its own consequences yeah i i I, that bothers me i can see that um i feel like it's in one of the marvel movies it's like semi-addressed because it's like oh we're not supposed to be destroying yeah things like i feel like there's comments that are made but i do i i understand that i get that and i'm sure i don't read too many comics there's some comics that i've read but i actually I'm reading one called Fables and like Watchmen, which don't have to do with what we're talking about right now. Um, and they, I'm sure somewhere in the, co- like there's so many comics. I'm sure that there's a comic that addresses that, but I think that's a very fair critique. Yeah. Anyways, that's Anyways, space station. Um, and then one of the last ones is state shall avoid harmful contamination of space and celestial bodies right on. But we, as humans, love to do that. I was going to say, there's no way we follow that, unfortunately. So, there. oh, here's another space attorney. <laughs> your, your favorite guy. This guy's name is Michael Listner. Mm. And his quote is, The Outer Space Treaty is one of those treaties that's so ambiguous, the debate isn't about what it says. It's about what we want it to say. Um, Ooh, that sounds very lawyery. It's true. So uh, the trillion dollar question is what qualifies what qualifies as national appropriation. The United States believes individuals can extract materials from space without violating the spirit of the treaty. But other countries like Russia disagree. Um, So he goes on and says there's no consensus on the legality of prospecting space resources. Uh, We are our country is passing laws legalizing space mining, but it's like, we don't technically have the right to do that. It seems. Yeah. It doesn't, that doesn't sound like it'd Um, be allowed. So our boy Franz, his argument, his like law argument about space is treating space as the ocean. 
So he says the Outer Space Treaty sets up space to be regulated like international waters, which is what you brought up. So no one owns it. No one can colonize it, but anyone can fish it. Meaning that I guess he agrees with the U.S. that like if we are able to go and like get on an asteroid and mine it like that's chill. That just seems like bad news bears, though. Because I feel like, okay, I'm playing this out. Let's say there's something that's, like, super valuable on the moon, right? And the U.S. is like, hey, let's keep it a secret. We found this stuff. We're going to mine it. And then it's going to, like, I don't know, it's very cheap energy or something. And then some other country finds out, oh, there's this stuff on the moon that we want. So they go there. And then do they just, like, duke it out with the U.S. people that are mining? Like, what happens there? I can't see there being a civil discourse when there's this thing that's probably worth whatever's after trillions of dollars. Well, I think the moon is... The moon has different classification. Okay, Jupiter. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think they've gone that far because we can't go there. Mars. I don't know. I don't know what that one. I Here's... my initial question of who owns space, the answer is no one. Mm-hmm. But the answer also is, I don't know. Like, it's like they don't, it, it, I think because our technology hasn't gotten there yet, like, we're kind of just avoiding the question. That's fair. Um, I do that. But you, I think you would agree with not Franz, but listener Ooh. about his argument, because his argument is space as a park, like a national park. His quote is, the oceans replenishes itself. If you mine an asteroid, it's gone. Yeah. Right? Except I would argue, I don't know, does the ocean replenish? Oh, in the fish thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's like an ongoing debate of whether corporations or individuals can extract resources. Yeah. So what's so <laughs> fascinating to me is that there's this ongoing debate that's like very, very important. And when I like contextualize that all of that stuff's happening simultaneously, when I'm like, Oh, I have to live stream call of duty tomorrow. Like, it's just like funny to me. Like, it's like honestly comical to me just that like, there's so many, and ah, there's a word for it. I just saw I, TikTok talking about that there is a word for just the idea that it's like when you see someone and you see them for a split second and so they're part of your world for that split second but they have their own entire world of like you know problems and excitements and things to look forward to and things they're dreading and just like all of that right and it's just so wild when I think of like man there's these space lawyers who are trying to figure out the ethics of like if we can't and legalities of mining things in space and I'm over here like shooting the daily fix like sorry I keep hitting this table shooting the daily fix like that to me is just it's that everything's just happening at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. Not to self-promote, but I did make a film about this. <laughs> Wait, which film? Was it one of the ones I saw? I don't think you've seen it. I don't think you've seen it. Um, okay, well, I'm just going to throw out that I have literally told Kate, every time you make a film, send me a link and I will watch it. And do you think she's done that? She's done it one time. <laughs> one single you time. You did come to my screening, which meant a lot to me. Yeah, because you invited me. If you invite me to things, I go. Well, this one didn't have a screening. Basically, I made a film about a boom operator who always hears airplanes and then she has like an existential breakdown because she's like people are in those airplanes and I like don't know them and whatever because and I got inspiration for that because when I was with my mom in London we were sitting at the tube station and all the trains were going by and Ellen turns to me and is like I look at those people and I say hi and bye at the same time, which I thought was so beautiful. I see why I love Ellen. Isn't that beautiful? That is. But yeah, it's the same thing. Like, I totally agree. But everyone, people love the Daily Fix and want to watch it. So you're doing important work. Uh, Yeah, I'm definitely not talking down on what I'm doing or what anybody's doing. I think it's more just like realizing that there's all of these things happening at the same time. Yeah, that's just it makes my brain explode also i did i watched your reel the other day and you were so talented but i know what you're talking about only because it's featured in your reel oh thank you um oh um what was gonna say my my actually my take on this is like don't we have like a lot of stuff to deal with down here (laughs) 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 like i'm pretty (laughs) i don't know you're not wrong 
I mean, I guess it's like, but I don't know how much forward thinking the space uh, lawyers would be I mean, on he current Earth uh, predicament. I guess we need Franz and Listener. Like they they got to do it. I like the idea that those are the only two space lawyers. They're just like duking it out in court. But they court. Like, are like good pals because they're the only two. They're the two and one has one opinion and the other one has the other. So uh, here's some more info. <laughs> I, sorry, I did a huge copy and paste job just because I was like trying to summarize it. And then I was like, I'm just going to give full credit to these two guys because they write it so much better than I do. That's fair. This is dense. Um. So you brought up the moon. So mm-hmm. in 1979, there was the moon agreement that was to address the equality of the moon. Okay. And so uh, several countries brought up res- like extracting resources from the moon. And so what they agreed on is a portion of the revenue would have to go to all countries incapable of space exploration on their own, which I think is kind of cute. Wait, can you repeat that? Revenue, you said? Yeah. Okay, I get it. Wait, okay. I didn't read this fully, apparently. This doesn't matter. (laughs) This was a proposed thing, and then we didn't sign it. (laughs) Oh, the revenue thing? (laughs) Yeah. So they proposed that um, whatever we extract from the moon, uh, that countries that can't afford to go to space, they'll get the profits from it. But we were like, no. Sorry, bitch. (laughs) I, I was going to talk about the Antarctic Treaty, which I thought was interesting, but I feel like this is too Did we too not dense. sign that one too? We did sign that one. I didn't know that there was a treaty about Antarctica, which makes a lot of sense. I didn't know either. So the Didn't Antarctica like Treaty, uh, there's a bunch of them. It's called the Atlantic Treaty System. But since it's the only, it's Earth's continent without a native human population, did you know? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No humans live there. Or have ever lived there. How can they prove that? I don't. That's an. <laughs> we can talk about that in another episode. It's a scientific preserve. Okay. And I actually feel like I knew that. Um, it bans all military activity on the continent. Anyways, whatever. Um, <laughs> so the space treaty is spent. The outer space treaty is essentially the same thing that you can't have military activity in space because they like want it to be peaceful. What's characterized as military activity. Like if I walk up to somebody and punch them, is that okay? Can I bring a gun? Well, that's Sorry. assault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's considered military activity, but like, is are it- you saying you're in a camo jacket? <laughs> Well, I was say, like, if I bring, like, somebody else with me, so if there's two people with guns, is yeah, that Yeah, no, we're not, no guns. How many people? No guns in space. With brass knuckles. No guns in space. Um, so... Like, what constitutes a military? Uh... Sorry. <laughs> you're really messing me up no, here. No, I just think this is really fascinating, which is why I have all these questions. It's because I'm just, that's where my brain is going, because I'm like, whoa, What? amazing i'm not just being an asshole i promise i mean maybe i'm being an asshole but it's not on purpose so i had that same question because remember the space force thing like trump was like we're gonna have space force yes i do so remember space force when i was reading this i was like wait but we can't have space force because you're not allowed to have military presence on in space and also reagan wanted that too he wanted a space force And basically what I learned from our two law gentlemen who do disagree, but they both are space lawyers. It's not, it's like they don't know if that's legal because no one's tried to do that. But Mm -hmm. based on the treaty, it's like not really legal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't be aggressive to another country in space. Could I bully someone? Could I bully someone from Asia in space? No, you cannot. So I couldn't say something like rude or demean them. I mean, you could, but... Would I get arrested? What happens if you break it? Do you get arrested on Earth? But I'm in space. No one's done it yet, so I don't think we know. I don't think we know. I think other countries are just super pissed off. That's so interesting about foreign policy, right? It's like, I feel like it's just like you can't do that. And then someone does it. And then they're like, well, we have to go to war now because you weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) That was me breaking down foreign policy in five (laughs) seconds. Anyways, um, 
so I thought that was interesting about Space Force. Like I looked it up. A, like what was I, Space Force supposed to be? Just for people who... that we have a branch of the military in space, mm-hmm. and it's and that also I didn't know that 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 was a huge drama that like a lot of military advisors didn't want to create a new branch of the military because of budgetary reasons. They didn't want all these resources going to a new branch. And also the president cannot create a new branch of the military. It has to be Congress, which I didn't know. So I'm actually learning a ton. Um, Interesting. This is fascinating. Like I said, I just want to know. So if I were to go to space and bully someone, It's illegal. Why do you want to bully what? someone in space? Just I don't want to. I for the thought I'm a of very it? peaceful person. I am I a peaceful person? Yeah. I feel like I yeah, I think unless you don't you're take an idiot. bullshit, I'll say that much. But that's still peaceful. It's peaceful to a certain extent. You're not passive aggressive. I am not passive aggressive, <laughs> that's for sure. Um no, but I, I I'm just asking this. I don't actually want to bully somebody in space. I'm asking because like if I broke the law, broke this space treaty in space, what are they going to do to me? I'm in space. Like is there a space jail? There's no space jail. It's like international waters. That's why people go and like throw bodies out there, like in the Sopranos. Because Spoiler alert. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't say who. Uh, that's like international. That's why there's like pirates, right? There could be space pirates. So I would be a space pirate? Do you want to be a pirate? space pirate? Yeah. You would be a space pirate. I just want to know what the consequence is. I think most astronauts are really sweet and hardworking scientific people. And so bullying is not really happening up there. I mean, that is very true. I feel like most astronauts and like the documentaries I've seen and the articles that I've read, it seems like they're extremely hardworking and everyone just wants to like move forward for science. Like they're not really necessarily thinking about how to make a quick buck for their country necessarily. I don't know. Maybe there are some and they just don't do the interviews. Keep them secret. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think the treaty allows for your bullying. I think they're saying that's no, not... No, I understand that, but I want to know what the consequence is. Like, what happens to me? I think shame. That's it? I don't know. Like, do I go to jail, like, when I come back down to Earth? I have Franz's Earth? email, the space <laughs> lawyer. Do you want to email him? I would him? really like to. I want to know what the consequence is to breaking the treaty. It says the moon and other celestial bodies shall be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. And bullying does n- is not a peaceful purpose. No, I understand that. I'm saying... So you're, you want I just the want sentence. To know, I want to... Under- yes. I have the answer only because they're saying... The space treaty is basically the international waters idea. And so if you're in international waters and you break, if you have to do legal activity, you're responsible to whose country your flag is flying. So does every ship have to fly a flag? Is that? I think so. Oh, interesting. Is that? I don't actually know. No. Okay. But so that was kind of my question. So if you bullied someone, you would. The U.S. would. Yeah. The U.S. would be be like. Yeah. They probably wouldn't. But. That's what I was going to ask is then if they're not, they have to act mad at me so that the greater powers that be don't attack us. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, this is not a politics podcast, but I think we want to keep it cool in space. You, you know what I mean? The thing is, what I have feel like I've learned after it's like all of this stuff that is very normalized in society and it turned out it's like horrible for the environment or just not very good for your health, et cetera, et cetera. But it was either the cheapest thing to do or it made people a lot of money is that I don't believe that because I think that if people can get very rich off of this, I think all of that altruism goes out the window. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. I immediately take back what I just said. No, but I think that's why Franz and Lister are really on the cutting edge of space do you think law. they make a lot of money? How I'm, much money do you think you well, make in a space listen, they, they made must, one treaty. They probably, no, 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 like SpaceX, right? Like they're probably having to deal with that. I don't know what the so legal like things are. But it's, I guess there is like satellites. Like what if your satellite no, yeah. hits another satellite? I don't I'm know. I'm picturing those like billboards. They're like the injury lawyers, but it's like accidentes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like for space. Um, Do you think they have billboards out there? Sorry, this is just. I'm sorry. I'm taking this seriously. This is just so 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. So space law. Space law, The man. Wikipedia on space oh, law no. is so boring. I'll just How let everyone know. How much do space lawyers make? <laughs> Does it say? The app, what? I would have thought it would have been like millions. The average salary for space law jobs is $114,834. That's yeah. not very much. That makes me think that it's like, there's probably a lot of them. See, I thought they were getting paid How are there a lot of them? What are they litigating? You just told me. SpaceX and like satellites and stuff. Oh, is I made that law, up. I don't know wait, that for sure. Is space law becoming a viable career? This is on blogs.finelaw.com. It says, when you think of space law, you might think of things like the Outer Space Treaty, NASA regulations, or Princess Leia's lawyers. But a lot of the interest in space today is coming from the tech industry. Um, as Olga V. Mack and Kasia Bloom point out in a recent piece for Above the Law, the tech industry's space craze is fueled by multiple factors, including lawyered, lowered costs for space technology and the expansion of analytics and machine learning, Mack and Bloom write. That makes space easier to invest in and more appealing to future-focused companies from startups to giants like Google. The result is that many of the growing number of jobs in space law are actually focused on space technology. Mm, that makes sense. You were right. What does a space lawyer do? Practicing in space law requires more than just some fresh tang. A lot of the work Mac and Bloom describe seems similar to more traditional in-house or corporate legal practice with an eye towards the celestial. Intellectual property, for example, is a major area of legal concern for space technology companies, as with most tech companies. There are also employment and workforce issues, and for some companies, those issues involve international workers as top talent is recruited from around the globe, adding a business immigration aspect to the legal work. Okay. Interesting. Again, that was from, I directly read off of blogs.finelaw.com Okay. Um, about space lawyers. That's so fascinating. Yeah, so that's... Do you think they have to, like, show up to court in, like, an astronaut suit? Mm -hmm, probably. They that must. sounds like a sitcom. Just like waiting to happen. Space lawyer. Should space we lawyer. make a spinoff of Space Force? Space lawyers. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's like a one of those like adult animated uh, TV shows. I mean, you heard it here first. In a hundred years, there's going to be a space law like procedural TV show. Yeah, for it's like sure. A BoJack Horseman. Oh no, I'm saying like Law and Order Special Victims oh, Unit, but it's space you did say law procedural. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll come after my comedy. Yeah. So I think that's enough okay. of that. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody so much for watching. You can find me everywhere that has social media at Sid So Good. And you can find me right back here on our next episode. Oh, guess you have to tune in again next Friday. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye.